Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Daniel chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be some in the seat pockets underneath the chairs, kind of around you. Please feel free to use that. Daniel chapter 6 is where we'll be at this morning. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of faithfulness. I heard about a husband who was faithful to his wife, and he loved his wife deeply. But his wife was really a jealous woman, and she always eyed him suspiciously and accused him of bad behavior. This man worked at an office, and he wore suits every day, and when he would come home in the evening, if he had a blonde hair on his suit, she would accuse him of having a fling with a blonde little honey at the office. He would come home, she would see the hair, she would go off in accusations, and he'd say, well, honey, it it never happened, I promise you. That could never happen. I truly love you. I'm completely and totally committed to you and you alone. She was the jealous type. And so if he came home with a red hair on his coat or a brown hair or a black hair, the same thing, she'd accuse him of being with a red hair or a brown hair or a black-haired woman. So he finally wised up and, 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 and he bought this little brush to keep in his car with him. And so he cleaned his suit one day, and he brushed off all the hair, and he came in absolutely spotless, and he bent down to kiss her, thinking that she'd be so relieved not to see any hair. And she pushed him away with her hand, and she said, get away from me. I can't believe it. Now you're having a fling with a bald woman. I mean, who can find a faithful man? (laughs) Who can really find a faithful woman? I guess the scriptures ask us. When I think about the word faithfulness, I think it's just such a wonderful attribute. Whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our business dealings, whether it's in our friendships, really simply just as a follower of Christ, faithfulness is just so good. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 says this, it says, many a person proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy, or better translated, faithful person. I mean, who can find a faithful man or a faithful woman? That's typically, when we think about these things, that's typically what we assign to God. We sing songs about it. Great is thy faithfulness, right? So we're asking the question this morning, though, who can find a faithful man or a woman? We begin asking that question, right? Every time we see a sports hero fall or a husband or a wife get into immorality or a leader, it could be a pastor, it could be a leader in the community, a leader at your school. When a leader falls, we're asking that question, where are the faithful people? You know, in Scripture, God found a faithful man in Moses in Numbers chapter 12 when he said, God, God said, He, meaning Moses, is faithful in all my house. Nehemiah found a faithful man and a leader by the name of Hananiah in Jerusalem. He described him as a faithful man who feared God more than most. Faithful, faithful. 
In the New Testament, Jesus speaks about a faithful and wise servant who was able to assume control over all his master's good, and Jesus used that parable, and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over these small areas. I will make you ruler over more. You know, if you've been to, and I haven't been, Yellowstone National Park, the most famous attraction there is what? Old Faithful. I hope when I'm old, that's my nickname, Old Faithful. It's not the biggest geyser in the park, from what I'm told. It's not the most powerful geyser, but it is the most faithful. You can set your clock, they tell me, by when Old Faithful goes off. You know, whether it's competence or whether it's geniusness, or they're truly in or they're trade, I would dare say that most of us really appreciate, whether we've really thought about it or not, that we really, really, really like faithfulness in people. Do you want to be faithful? Have anybody in the room that wants to be faithful? Okay, I see some hands. Thank you. As I'm getting around, you're going to raise your hands. So then let me ask you this question. If you didn't raise your hand, does that mean you want to be unfaithful? I mean, just checking. I mean, no, it was really a rhetorical question, and you did well. Some of you raised your hands, and that's great. I guess I'm really looking at your heart this morning, because whether you raise your hand or you're not, I think in your heart, all of us really want to be faithful. I think we really do. So then, how do we do this thing? That's a really good question. I mean, how do we do that? Well, I think the Word of God answers that, and so... We're going to look at a man whom I have, after studying Daniel for five chapters now, I've come to think is one of the most faithful men in all of Scripture, besides the Lord Jesus, of course. Daniel chapter 6, I'm tempted to go through the entire entire passage this morning, but the way I preach and the way we go, there's no way. You'll thank me later. But I'm going to divide this message up into two parts. Really, they are kind of related to one another. This week, we're going to look at faithfulness. And then next week, we're going to look at steadfastness, because I believe they're two different sides of the same coin. We're going to look at Daniel this morning, because I believe he's thankful. If I could sum up Daniel's life with a word, I think it would be faithful. We're going to learn three ways that we can be faithful by looking at the text. And I'm going to give them to you now. We can be persistently faithful. We can be professionally faithful, but we can also be prayerfully faithful. So I wonder yet again, and this is just because not religion or anything else or just just the way we do it, that really, I want you to understand that when God speaks, we really need to give him due diligence and praise and honor, and that you are holding in your hands or on the screen in a moment God's holy word. So I wonder, would you stand with me as we just read verses 1 through 15 out of Daniel chapter 6. The Lord is going to speak from his holy and errant, inspired, infallible word. Oh Lord, give us ears to hear. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because, read this with me, he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Can we do that again? 
because he possessed an extraordinary spirit And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs. But check this out. They could not find, they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful. No negligence or corruption was found to be in him. Can you imagine what would happen next year in the presidential election If that happened, wow, that ain't going to happen, I promise you. Then these, these men said, well, we will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless, unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. That's funny. All the commissioners of the kingdom, not really. The prefects, the satraps, not really. The high officials and the governors have consulted together, minus Daniel, that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction to anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into what, church? Hmm, Yeah. No king established the injunction and signed the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. And I'd like to sign an injunction. Everybody pray to me for 30 days. No way would I want that. That's just sick to me. I don't know how he could do that, but he did. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, what did he do, church? He entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knee. How many times? Three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God. Now, here's a key phrase. As he had been doing what? Previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel. What did they find him doing? Making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, that Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which is signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute with the king establishes may be changed. O Father, would you bless your word and speak to our hearts and reveal Christ. And We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, just kind of set the context here for you. The first verse there says it seemed good to who? Darius. Well, guess what? New king's in town. It's not just a new king. It's a new kingdom. I don't know if you remember, and I'm not trying to impress you, but we have preached through this. We've seen that this head of gold would be replaced with these, this shoulder and these arms of, of bronze and stuff. And so here it comes. There's a new administration. Nebuchadnezzar's dynasty, even Belshazzar, is all gone. The kingdom now has fallen to the Medes and the Persians. And we're introduced to that at the end of chapter 5 to a character named Darius. 
something the real ruler going on behind the scenes was Cyrus, the Persian king, but that he used Darius, also gone by another name, I'll tell you about in a moment, as the viceroy, just like Belshazzar was kind of running things and he had somebody else ruling. Some people think that's what's going on. Dr. Daniel Aiken, uh, the professor of the seminary that I attended, he says this, he says, Darius the Mede may be referring to a man by the name Gubaru, who served as the governor of Babylon under Cyrus the Great, or it could be, as I think, and I agree with him, another designation for Cyrus himself, king over the Medo-Persian Empire. If so, Then we could read in verse 28, if you look down in the Bible here, it says, so Daniel joined the success during the reign of Darius, even in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so I'm not going to debate over whether this guy is a different guy, a viceroy, or whether this guy is actually Cyrus and he just works by the label of Darius, we find that in the ancient empire. What I need you to know is, is that somebody else is ruling the kingdom. And for my point of reference and my humble opinion, I'm going to say that, that Darius and Cyrus are the same people. Nevertheless, there's been what Nebuchadnezzar thought was impossible, right? He thought his kingdom would last forever, but Babylon has fallen and a new kingdom has arisen. Just like in Daniel chapter 2, the head of gold, Babylon, will be replaced with the arms and chests of silver of the Medes and the Persians, right? And so here we find ourselves, but, our, but our, we're finding ourselves not focusing on the Medo-Persian Empire. That's not the focus of chapter 6. It's not even on Darius the Mede. It's, the real focus is on a character described in verse 4 as being faithful, and that is Daniel. So let's learn then what it means to be faithful from what the Scriptures teach us about Daniel. First of all, we can be persistently faithful, persistently faithful. It says there, it seemed good to Darius to appoint these, these satraps over the kingdom, 120 of them, that they'd be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, now of whom Daniel was one. Now, Daniel was one of these three chiefs of staff or these administrative governors over the 120 princes or provincial or territorial rulers. That's the word for satrap. And so there was these regional rulers who gave an account to three guys in charge, and Daniel was one of them. And also a translation could say, Daniel was one meaning preeminent. He was the one that was kind of in charge. But here's what's interesting to me. I don't know if you've paid attention here and done the math, but we find ourselves here in this chapter, Daniel is most likely 85 years of age. He's been in Babylon for 70 years. The captivity is about over. And almost 70 years, Daniel has lived since he was a teenager in captivity in Babylon. He was a teenager in chapter one who purposed in his heart not to defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, right? Y'all remember that. Six kings have come and six kings have gone and one kingdom has left and another kingdom has arisen and Daniel is still there. He's not in absentia. He's 85 years old and guess what? He is still on the job. He's still faithfully serving the Lord during all these kings and during these two nations, one after the other. You see, faithfulness, faithfulness isn't doing the, the, the right thing just once. Faithfulness is doing the right thing over and over and over and over. Daniel's teaching us that we can be persistently faithful. When William Carey, who became the great missionary to India, announced that he wanted to go overseas and serve the Lord on the mission field in India, his dad wasn't happy about it. 
His dad tried to dissuade him, and his dad said, son, you're not intellectually qualified. You don't know the Indian language. You don't know their history. You don't know their culture. You shouldn't go. William Carey responded, but dad, I can plod. Plod, I can. I can just put one foot in front of the other, and I can plod along. Beloved, listen to me. The wonderful things God can do in your life through faithful men and women who just persistently put one foot in front of the other and plod along faithfully time and time again. Here's something interesting. Daniel's 85 and he's not retired. I'm not saying it's bad to retire. I'm telling you, it's, it's bad to sit around and do nothing for the kingdom once you've retired. In our culture, we'd want to put Daniel in a retirement home. In our culture that reveres the young and doesn't pay so much attention to the age, we find here that, man, we ought to pay attention to such people. They have something to offer. Daniel is still very, very active at the age of 85 when he has been in hard labor situations. Here's what I guess I'm trying to tell you. No matter how old you are in this room, but especially if you are some of our senior citizens, man, you can still be faithful to the Lord even in your retirement age. Did you know that Thomas Edison at 90 was still inventing things? Frank Lloyd Wright, the the great architecture, was 90 and was still drawing architectural buildings. Michelangelo, at the age of 89, painted his most famous work hanging in the Sistine Chapel called The Last Judgment. John Wesley, the famous preacher, was 88, could still preach forcefully and articulate, having traveled 250,000 miles in his life on horse after preaching 4,000 sermons and writing multiple volumes and multiple volumes of stuff. He's 88, and he's still preaching like he's 20. The late, great Billy Graham was 95 while writing a book and planning his greatest evangelistic outreach ever at the age of 95. I'm just trying to tell you, Daniel's teaching us that we can be persistently faithful. You can be faithful. You can do it. You can do it to the day you die. Then Daniel also teaches us this. The scripture tells us we can be professionally faithful. Professionally faithful. Look in verse 2. It says that these satraps might not be accountable to them, that the king might not suffer loss. So he puts Daniel and these three in charge. But then Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps, because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Now pay attention to that. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Once again, we see Daniel in a high-ranking government position, and isn't that interesting? No matter what chapter we've been in, virtually every chapter, almost every chapter, Daniel is seen by his bosses as somebody that's a cut above the rest and gives Daniel a promotion each time. I don't know if you've noticed that. In chapter 1, when he was a teenager, we're told that God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of the eunuchs. In Daniel, the second chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator over the wise men. In chapter 5, Belshazzar made a proclamation that Daniel should be the third ruler of the kingdom. So it's just amazing that on a professional level, every single boss that he ever had saw the dependability, the competence, and the faithfulness of this man and promoted him at every single turn. Remember in the New Testament, I don't know if you remember this, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. 
And Jesus said, let your light so shine among men that people can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And I think that one of the best places for that to happen is in the workplace, simply because next to home, that's where you spend most of your time. If you live to be 70, think about this. If you live to the age of 70, you will have worked a total of 20 consecutive days and years by the time you turn 70. 20 years of your life will be spent at work. No wonder we're all so tired, right? Right? (laughs) But think about this. That's 20 years of your life to be in front of somebody where they can see the gospel lived out in you and tell what kind of a work ethic you really have. Here's Daniel on the job, serving the Lord professionally. He's working hard. He's doing a good job. He's distinguished himself. And it says that he distinguished himself above the governors. And remember, this is an Aramaic. We pick up in chapter 7. We switch back to Hebrew. But this is an Aramaic participle. In other words, I'm not trying to impress you with that. Just trying to teach you. Here's the point. The participle means that you could translate it this way. Daniel was regularly distinguishing himself. Not that he just did it one time. We miss that in the language here. We don't see actually what's happening with the verb. It's a participle. He was regularly, continually, constantly distinguishing himself. In other words, this was Daniel's work ethic. He was a hard worker. He was faithful to do whatever it was that he was asking, then to go above and beyond that. Whatever you would give Daniel to do, he would do well, and he would so do it in such a way that he would rise above everybody else. Let me challenge you today. If you really want to be a good witness, be a good worker. Be a good worker. Be somebody at your your workplace where somebody says, you know what, I can depend on them. They are faithful. Daniel was that kind of man. He distinguished himself. Not only did he have a a good work ethic, but let's notice why. Verse 3, it says, he distinguished himself because there was an excellent spirit in him. And what I need you to know is that isn't talking about the Holy Spirit inside of him. That's really not an action at all when you look at it. When you look at the Aramaic there, it's not, it's not an action at all. It's an attitude. It's really talking about Daniel's attitude. He had an excellent attitude about him. He wasn't the kind of employee that walked around with his head down, always bummed out, always complaining, always seeing the negative, always looking to the glass half empty, complaining about the job, the boss or the coworkers. No, that's not what Daniel did. Daniel had a super encouraging, positive spirit about him. He looked at the bright side. He looked at things that were going right. He looked at how he was blessed to be at the job. No matter where he is, no matter what circumstance he's in, or even how he got there, or unfair, how unfair the situation is that he's there, Daniel stays positive, upbeat, and believes that God has a plan for him while he's there. That's an excellent spirit. See, you may have heard this, but it's worth repeating. It'll come up here on the screen, but attitude determines your altitude. Your attitude, guys, I'm telling you, man, it determines your altitude. I didn't come up with this. A man probably 35 years ago by the name of Chuck Swindoll was at a conference, and he said this, and it stuck with me. Life is 10% of what happens and 90% of what you do with it. 
Life is 10% about what happens, and it's 90% attitude. I've just learned that to be true in my life. Your attitude determines your altitude. So if your attitude stinks at work, no wonder your job sucks. Because it's your attitude, man. If anybody had a reason to complain at their job, Daniel did, but that's not what he did. Daniel had an excellent spirit, and as I read down through the text, I see him thanking God in prayer for the worst trial of his life while he's at the job. Later, he gets down on his knees, and he thanks God for what's going on. That's an excellent attitude. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you thanked your boss for even having the job? Or thank the people that you get to work with. Thank you, man, for working with me. You see, here's something else. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for life. If you want to maintain that altitude, you've got to mix it with some gratitude. Be thankful. That's an excellent spirit. Daniel had a good work ethic. Daniel had an excellent spirit no matter what job was given him. So I want you to think with me and pause with me just for a moment and turn to the New Testament, the book of Ephesians chapter 6, because in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is speaking to husbands, wives, children, and parents, and then he moves to start speaking to employees. But only in those days, employees were actual slaves of slave owners. And I want you to read with me what it says in Ephesians 6, 5. Keep Daniel in mind in Ephesians 6, 5. Slaves... Be obedient to those who your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves to Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. It's exactly what Daniel is teaching us. It's the same message. Work hard and have a great attitude. Work as unto Christ. Have a great attitude that Christ has you there for a reason. He's writing to slaves, and, he, and you go, well, I feel like a slave. feel like a slave in my job. Well, these were actual slaves. They were owned. In the early church, the writings of Paul and Peter talked about slaves who become Christians, so to exercise their slavery by being humble and hardworking and subservient to their slave owners, that they would have an opportunity to spread the gospel. So, so if you think about that, man, if, if Paul encourages those who were actual slaves to have a good attitude and actually do their work as into Christ, those of us who are not slaves but are on the job, how much more should we? Work as into the Lord, not people pleasing, not for just eye service, but because we're there to represent Jesus. If you took that attitude, that little bit of truth, that, that little bit of knowledge to work tomorrow, it may transform your entire work day. These were, there were three men, they were, they're out doing a job I read about, and they were doing the same job, and they were doing exactly the same task. A man walks up to one of the three, and he said, hey, man, what are you doing? The first guy said, well, I'm breaking up rocks. And then he, he just kind of grumbled it back, I'm just breaking up rocks. I went up to the second man and said, hey, what are you doing? Bro, I'm just earning a living, man. Went up to the third guy doing the exact thing, what are you doing? Bro, I'm building a cathedral. That's all about your attitude. It's all about what you see that you're doing. Take the exact same task that we all do. We all get up and go to work, but what are we doing? Man, I'm building the kingdom, bro. I'm advancing the gospel, bro. I'm helping this product be the best that it can be. That's what I'm doing. 
That's an excellent spirit. We can be professional faithfully. And I know there's always a target on your back as a Christian in the workplace. I just, just know that. I've been in the workplace. It's been said that birds always pick the tree that yields the most fruit. <laughs> so you know. So if you're being faithful and God is blessing on your job, you can count on the fact that people will look for ways to discredit you and even destroy you. Daniel shows us, though, how to be faithful when the inevitable happens. So look at verse 4. He says, then these commissioners and satraps began trying to find grounds of accusation. They could find no ground or accusation or evidence of corruption. Inasmuch as he was faithful, no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then they said, hey, you know what? We're not going to find anything on Daniel here unless we do it against, and we find something against the law of his God, what he's doing considering his faith. Then they came and spoke, hey, King Darius, all the commissioners and everybody's met together, all these large groups of people, we've, we've all met together, and we say, hey, we're going to put together this, this, this law that's in the, the law of the Medes and the Persians. Pause for a moment. Let's deal with that for a second. If you remember back in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, the king could just make a choice, and he killed who he wanted to, and he kept alive who he wanted to, and it was all the king, and the king just did everything. The Medes and the Persians were a different kind of government. They said, we don't want the king having that much power, so we sign into effect the law of the Medes and the Persians, and if everybody says go on that, even the king can't change it. Back in Nebuchadnezzar's empire, if they made a law, he could change it. He could do whatever he wanted to. The Medes and the Persians run just a little bit differently. But the thing was, whatever was written down had to be taken care of. There were no exceptions. It was a law that it didn't matter who it was, it was going to be done. It could not be changed. And so we're going to make a law here, according to the Medes and the Persians, that anybody who didn't pray to you, O God, O King, and make you God for 30 days gets thrown into the lion's den. Well, that's interesting. So you've got these 120 provincial rulers, these administrators, and they set out to, to attack Daniel because all of a sudden they're afraid and they're jealous, which seems to be a theme this morning. Where you at, Seth? Seems to be a theme this morning. That they were jealous because the Bible says that even Daniel was going to be promoted above them. And because Daniel has always occupied a place of position, probably a lot of these other guys are seeing this. Just, man, we've got an opportunity to jockey for position. So I tell you what, we want to be in charge, so we'll just take him down. And it's just pure envy. It's pure jealousy. And anytime you occupy a position of authority, a position of power, or you're in a prominent position, you need to understand right now that you will be eyed by the envious and exposed to criticism ruthlessly. It's just going to come with the territory. No matter what field it's in, they're going to look at you, they're going to envy you, and they're going to criticize you and hopefully get you to step down or take you out. But see, flip the coin, though. Think about the Christian ethic that, that's here. The Christian ethic, what do we do with that? Romans 12, 15 says to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. So just by show of hands, how many of you think it's harder to rejoice with those who rejoice than it is to weep with those who weep? Anybody in the room struggle rejoicing with people? Okay, thank you, Travis. You're my friend. I'll give you an example. So let's just say that somebody around you came into church this morning and they just look down, they look downcast, they look defeated, and you come up to them and say, what's wrong? And they just really don't really talk a whole lot. You just begin to go in the, 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 the mode of compassion. I'm so sorry. Is there anything we can do to help? Man, I just love you. I'm, I'm hurting with you. Can we pray together? That's what we do. 
Yet if the same brother and sister came in here and said, hey, you know what, bro? I just got a $100,000 raise. <laughs> Aren't you happy for me, man? My boss just gave me a $100,000 raise, dude. I'm making four G's a minute. Most of us, it would come out of our mouth, oh, I'm happy, but in our heart, why don't I ever get that? Or like, you know, for example, somebody shows up in the parking lot. Last week, they were like, you know, hey, pray for me. I need a new car. They come in the next week, and they're driving a new Rolls Royce. And they're like, yo, you know, one of the deacons of the church, man, they felt bad for me. They just gave me this Rolls Royce. You'd be like, God, can the deacons do that for me? You, you wouldn't be happy. For about a minute, you would be. But then you, you'd be turned to this way. To rejoice with those who rejoice is often harder than it is to weep with those who weep. Because we have this thing inside of us that's just so, so jealous. Daniel was promoted. They were promoted. The king was just about putting Daniel over the top of the rest. And they're like, man, this has got to stop. And so they put him under scrutiny. They give him the envious eye. And here's what you need to know. Even under the scrutiny, Daniel is still faithful. Daniel is still above reproach. There's no skeletons, if you will, in his closet. He is faithful even as a professional. He's professionally faithful. Verse 4, they couldn't find anything to discredit him. No case of negligence. The the Jerusalem translation says this. He was so punctilious. (laughs) I like that. They couldn't find a single instance of maladministration or neglect. So here's a powerful political figure, and there's no corruption. Did I just say that out loud? It is possible, not likely. It's possible. As they do an investigation of his past, they can find nothing on him. Imagine they, they look for scandals, they look for mishandling of funds, they look for moral affairs, they look for anything and everything, and the only thing that they could find is this man loves his God. Think about this. In our day, they're digging up dirt on people all the time. The scrutiny that public officials go through is unbelievable. They did this with Daniel. They found nothing. Let that sink in for a minute. 122 people went on an all-out examination of Daniel's life, and they could find nothing. No wonder verse 4 says, inasmuch as he was faithful. When it talks about no accusation and no corruption, the word literally means corruption means to find no fault. And really for our understanding, that means there's, it's talking about the sin of commission. There's nothing there that Daniel did wrong. There was no fault in him. When it talks about negligence or error, that's talking about the sin of omission. In other words, he didn't not do something he was supposed to. So in other words, they couldn't find anything that he did that he shouldn't do or anything that he didn't do that he should have done. The only thing they found was that he worshiped and was sold out to his God. Man, if your employers do your year-end valuation, I wonder if that's what they would say about you. Now, all we know is that you're faithful here and you are faithful to your God. Man, wouldn't that be great? And could, could your 
Could your family say that about you? In other words, you've heard this before. Trust me, you have. I'm going back old school to the 90s, back when new kids were on the block, Bryn. If it was a crime to be a faithful Christian, would they find enough evidence to convict you? I mean, if it was a crime today to be a faithful Christian, would they find enough evidence to convict you? Here's Daniel in Babylon, and now one of the Medo-Persian Empire. Daniel has been a very controversial figure. In the midst of the controversy that's following me, it's clean. In chapter 1, there was controversy because Daniel said, I'm not going to eat what you give to me. I'm not going to defile myself with your diet. I'm Jewish, and I keep kosher. That was controversial, but the Lord blessed him because of that. In chapter 2, controversy followed Daniel as Daniel announced to Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is coming down and another kingdom's coming after you. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to hear that. It was very controversial. In chapter 4, controversy followed Daniel when he said, hey, king, you're very, very prideful and God's going to humble you. Controversy followed into chapter 5 when Daniel was the party pooper who walked out in the midst of a drunken feast and said, hey, king, you're going to be dead within a few hours. Your kingdom's coming down tonight. But in all that controversy and all the stuff that was headed his way, Daniel remained a cut above the rest, and Daniel remained faithful. So I've always admired Dr. Billy Graham. He's been one of my heroes, and when he passed away, I cried like a baby. He's been a controversial controversial figure in the United States. He was from the days of even Nixon. And he's been under the eye of the scrutiny of the media for more years than I had been alive when he died. But did you know that since 1955, the Gallup, George Gallup listed him as one of the 10 most admired men in America from 1955 to the day of his death. He was one of the top 10 most admired men in America. He was voted that more than any other man that we've been keeping records of. He's never been number one, but he's always been in the top ten. You know why? Because Billy Graham said, I'm going to be faithful. What about you? You want to be faithful? Heidi, if you guys would come up, I'll do what my notes tell me I shouldn't do, and that's close. I've looked at the clock. I know what time it is. And I've heard you. In preaching class, they told me, you got to keep your sermons, make them a whole lot like baloney, where you can just cut it off where you need to. Something like that, Justin. I don't know, brother. I don't want to end right here, and in all transparency, I don't have an ending, but the clock tells me I need to end, so here's what we're going to do. I wonder if you'd just stand to your feet for a moment. We'll go into this time of invitation. I wonder if you'd just bow your head with me, and I just want to ask you to think about something before we pray. Just in the stillness and the quietness of your heart, I wonder if you just go before the Lord and ask Him, Lord, am I faithful?
And Lord, if I'm not, would you show me where I need to do some work? Would you just do that right now in just this moment? Would you, would you just ask the Lord? Lord, where am I faithful? Where am I not? And then if you're within the sound of my voice this morning, I just need you to know there's no way you can ever be faithful unless you first come to faith. What I mean by that is you come to this understanding this morning that you are separated from God because you and I have sinned against God. We deserve the payment of our sin, which is death, but, but God in his great mercy sent Jesus to die, to be buried and raised again, that you and I could be forgiven. And so you want to put your faith in what Jesus has done. It'll help you be faithful, I promise you. So maybe you need to come down this aisle and grab one of us by the hand and say, hey, listen, I need Jesus. And we'll introduce you to him. Or maybe you need to come down this morning and just maybe kneel here and say, Lord, I've been unfaithful here. Uh, Please, Lord, wash over me or help me or maybe you're just you're being faithful but you're going through that persecution and you just need strength to push on i don't really know but i'm going to pray and you come lord there's nobody in this room that can be faithful unless the holy spirit of god comes upon us and we need you more today than we ever dared dreamed imagine so please help us You were faithful. Jesus, you were so faithful. We look to you. We pray it in Jesus' name.